This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Tuesday, 18th of July, 2023. We saw markets extending uh, their rally in the U.S. Uh, higher to new record high closes for the cycle. In the case of the S&P and the NASDAQ 100, the uh, perhaps uh, interesting thing being that the banks that had such a poor session the prior day, uh, largely recovering the lost territory and closing on a positive note there. Ahead of further earnings reports from the big banks, uh, or some of the big banks, the ones that didn't report on uh, on Friday, and as well some of the regional banks coming into the picture, and we'll get to that in the earnings overview later. Uh, it is just me by myself here today, so uh, we'll see if we can get through this uh, solo. Got a few thoughts on uh, across markets, really, though, and uh, plenty to talk about uh, amidst a very complacent backdrop. Uh, other developments that were rather interesting included a big, ugly dump in the European luxury stocks, especially uh, the kingpin of those LVMH dropping some 4% yesterday. There was news of an executive uh, being poached by uh, Ermenegildo Zegna, if I said that correctly, uh, for uh, for their uh, to support their uh, luxury brands. I guess it was Tom Ford. I'm not into these uh, names, but uh, I think that's an interesting news item. And of course, when you think luxury, you think China as well. And there have been some interesting signals out of China on the policy front, or not necessarily on the policy front, but on, of course, the disappointment over growth, the lack of a stimulus coming in, the idea that they're going to take a, a sort of a tough approach to, to towards deleveraging rather than the sort of stimulus we've seen in previous cycles. Uh, and as well, there, there have been some news stories out in recent months about uh, I think there was a mutual fund and some banks uh, where the discussion was of new company policies saying don't wear uh, flashy uh, clothing items, uh, i.e. luxuries type brands, to work and uh, don't post uh, things on social media that involve, uh, you know, these types of uh, the context of uh, luxury brands or luxury meals, etc. So an interesting uh, common prosperity type message there as well, not friendly to the luxury story. And you have to wonder where the valuations could go uh, after they've been pumped up to these uh, very high levels, assuming uh, you know, steady growth. But looking at the baskets uh, of what's performed well and, and poorly, you can see the bubble stocks had a banner day. Uh, yesterday and are up 45% year-to-date, admittedly from a very, very uh, advantageous starting point as we were close to the lows uh, in many spots at the beginning of this year. Uh, and other, uh, you can see the other sectors there on the overview on slide two. All right, well, we have a very positive uh, backdrop for uh, for equities, at least in the U.S., a uh, slight miss yesterday in Europe, and the, the mood was not extending overnight into Asia. I think it's quite interesting to, to poke a... Uh, uh, or to take the focus over to the commodities market where you're just continuing once again to see this story of something starts to look promising and then we just sort of get beaten back uh, lower again. Uh, to me, if we are supposed to be seeing a brightening economic outlook, we would need commodities to offer some sort of signal uh, on that front as well. And of course, a lot of the commodities, especially on the metal side, et cetera, uh, linked uh, cyclical commodities linked to China, but uh, just just a note, uh, I think commodities are worth having on your radar. And I show there on slide three, big sell-off in copper. So that um, resistance level in the, in the high 390s uh, did not come fully into view. And now we're sort of back around the 200-day moving average there, thoroughly buried in the range. And then crude oil as well. We tested, uh, if you look at a continuous chart, 
Uh, we tested the 200-day moving average almost exactly in the WTI. Brent crude, we didn't quite get there. Uh, but the contract I show here, the September contract, did go above its 200-day moving average, less relevant for a specific month. But still, we've we've retreated a lot here over the last couple of sessions after the selling yesterday. And uh, if we get much lower here, we're sort of burying ourselves back in the range once again uh, from the uh, sort of from early May through, uh, let's call it, uh, into early July. Would be a disappointing uh, development for those looking for a commodities uh, breakout. And then I just have a slide. I just I was digging around with some interesting data on slide four, thinking about where we are with the EV penetration, and especially in China, and that crude oil uh, price going where it's going, and wondering what the long-term prospects are for crude oil when we look at the advance uh, in EV percentages of vehicle fleets. And I just pulled up a couple of data points uh, there uh, on, slide, uh, on slide four, and you can see that um, now, from that little quote there, the EVs accounted only for about 3% of China's total passenger fleet uh, at the end of 2021. So we're talking a year and a half ago. Uh, expected to advance to 32% by 2030. That's in six and a half years. And 77% by 2040. These are just uh, incredible numbers when you look at um, uh, when you look how, how rapidly this has gone. I found some other, uh, some other uh, figures from that article, the same article that that quote was pulled from. 64% of global volume is in the Chinese uh, EV industry. So they are producing these things like mad. It is a price competition. Again, I think segueing this into Tesla's earnings tomorrow could be very interesting. Talk a little bit more about that. There's also a story out about uh, some of the German car makers uh, on their EV side of things having to throttle production down because they're just not seeing the demand uh, and they're getting competition from below uh, price-wise and, and not necessarily quality-wise from some of the Chinese EV makers. So you have that. So on the crude oil demand side, there's one thing. Then on the EV side. And then on the tech side and the batteries themselves, just pulled that little quote from this sodium ion battery, something I really find fascinating if this uh, technology is, is viable, which it seems to be because we have cattle, the world's largest uh, battery producer, uh, shipping these things now actively. And it obviates the need entirely for the lithium ion side of uh, or, or lithium ion technology and, and all the uh, associated difficulties with lithium production. And their estimates there, according to this article, I can't vouch for whether it's accurate, but already 10 gigawatt hours in 2025 and 70 gigawatt hours of production um, for sodium ion batteries by 2033. So in less than in approximately 10 years. And just so you know what 70 gigawatt hours is, assuming a 70 kilowatt hour battery, which is more or less a, a reasonable consideration or a base case for a a decent sized battery in a in an EV that's around 10 million cars annually, which is around yeah well depending on the year 15 percent ish uh, or a little bit less of the global annual car sales. So pretty uh, interesting there as well. And then just showing on if we are seeing those levels of penetration for EVs into the Chinese market, what are the prospects for Chinese crude imports? China is by far and away the largest importer of crude oil. And you can see the growth that's been there the last 20 years in that chart on the right there on slide four. And it's back at uh, this 52 million tons per month. But really, is that sustainable uh, or do we see that start to drop off quite a bit? Um, <clears throat> all right, let's go to, to FX. We've seen a couple of a couple of developments. We saw uh, – well, we've seen Sterling turning around here ahead of tomorrow's very critical CPI report. I think there could be a lot of volatility in Sterling, especially – on any kind of miss, and especially at the core uh, of the inflation report tomorrow. 
Uh, we've seen, of course, dollar weakness. We saw that extending a bit today. Uh, as I show on the following slide there, the uh, the euro dollar actually testing almost within a pip. I think it went like a pimp above this 61.8% retracement, 112.75 area there, and it's gotten beaten back a little bit lower this morning. Uh, and as I argued yesterday in my FX update, as you can find on analysis.saxo, I'm wondering uh, whether the uh, how fair it is that euro uh, yen, for example, has extended the degree it has if we're looking at the yen picture. So I get, okay, yields are coming in lower. The yield spread is, is less of a threat than it was for the Japanese yen. We have the potential for the Bank of Japan to tweak policy. We're getting more Fed rate cuts priced in for next year. Dollar yen falls. I get that. But why should euro yen uh, still be up here? This should be a broad yen advance story to a greater degree than it has been if we are seeing some sort of convergence. And it's not like European rates have been going gangbusters to the upside either. They've been quite flat. We have a similar story. Some of the more hawkish ECB members have been coming in with far less hawkish statements. And uh, yeah, so I, it's not that I only focus on euro yen and sterling yen. I'm just scratching my head a bit why the yen participation on the strong side hasn't been more profound uh, and broader. So we'll focus on that in coming days to see if that story gets any traction. Uh, but as I argue and show on slide seven, we're just seeing maximum complacency across um, across our, our risk indicators. Uh, this this uh, global risk indicator we put out has been uh, gyrating around above uh, sort of one standard deviation. This is based uh, around a moving average. So it's very hard for it to sustain these levels and see, unless we're seeing very consistent improvement, lower volatility, more complacency, and things like on the right, the high yield bond spread continuing to get in, come in lower. So that's the spread on high yield debt relative to, uh, to uh, government uh, bonds. That's just reached its lowest since uh, last spring, so 2022 spring. Not the absolute yield level, but the spread to uh, other to uh, so-called risk-free assets. So we have complacency across the board, and that could mean, and I'm not going to make a call here, but I think that could mean if we put two and two together here, maximum complacency, then I think it becomes, we become very, very sensitive to surprises. And I'm not going to call a surprise in Tesla's earnings, but put in the story, put all these stories together, maximum complacency, uh, huge speculative interest in um, in bubble stocks and the valuations pumping up to, to quite extreme levels again. I think we have some fragility developing. So if there is, and only if there is, some sort of miss in the numbers or in the call or in the guidance, for example, on a Tesla or a key speculative name, there could be some some sort of, sort of sudden injection of volatility and some gap-like behavior. So I'm curious to see if that's what develops tomorrow. Again, not a call. I can't put a probability on it. I just can say that it's a more fragile setup when you've extended for so long uh, with this uh, sort of risk on. And uh, yeah, what, what El Arian calls in a, a commentary, Mohammed El Arian, the famous uh, former PIMCO uh, chief uh, calls uh, or said in an article in Bloomberg today. So basically the market's been celebrating all these things that have not happened. So we've not seen a weaker job market. Uh, <clears throat> we've not seen recession and we've not seen banks or the financial system causing any greater uh, contagion or fear. And the great uh, bond market volatility has not triggered wider unease either. So, um, yeah, so that's the backdrop. Again, at some point, whether this continues for another three days or three months, we we become extremely fragile to to the wrong kinds of news items. 
couple of little things I bring into the picture today, also just noting the, the incredible extent of the reach for yield, the reach for um, into these very high risk, um, not high risk, but um, high complacency type trades, for example, carry trades uh, in emerging markets. So those have seen some incredible performance. I show that on slide eight. So all the ones on top, not all the ones, but many of the ones on top are linked to, to China, whether it's the Malaysian ringgit, uh, Indonesian uh, rupiah, et cetera. Uh, those have not been really the focus because of the the drag from from China's uh, you know, underwhelming recovery. On the other side, you have the Brazilian reals and the Mexican pesos of the world, which have done tremendously well. Their central banks there pumping up rates as they should in a normal cycle, and now the anticipation that as we slowly roll over uh, and and uh, they see uh, some rate cuts coming in to these um, to these currencies uh, or to these countries that long, longer-term debt in local currency terms will, could do extremely well. So you get both the carry, even if it's slowly getting reduced from rate cuts, plus you get the, uh, uh, the bond price appreciation on yields falling on somewhere a little bit further out the curve. It just feels like the situation is getting very stretched. Okay, moving forward to earnings to watch and, and really a couple of, of stocks to watch as well. I should just mention this. We have AT&T trading at a 30-year low, Verizon also suffering a really ugly uh, markdown yesterday. There's a story afoot about these uh, legacy uh, so-called lead-sheathed cables that are underground being left all over the place across America. They're toxic. There could be risks of lead leaking into local water supplies. A really ugly story. Of course, legal liability in the U.S. can be absolutely massive. So that's one of the drivers for those specific stocks. Of course, these are not affecting the broader market, but I just thought I would mention those, those two stocks there. And if we look at uh, the earnings highlights, so again, banks coming in, Bank America, the last of the mega banks uh, reporting today, some other big ones, Morgan Stanley, uh, Charles Schwab, et cetera, and then some of the more traditional regional banks, uh, especially PNC Financial, they're reporting before the open today, and Western Alliance uh, Bancor is reporting after the close. Uh, is the sort of, uh, these are arguably the first two major regional banks where we could have a look at how uh, rising funding costs and the risks of deposit flight are affecting their business and their margins, especially on the interest income side uh, of things and what their guidance is. So stay tuned for those. And of course, there'll be plenty of other banks reporting here in coming days. I already mentioned the Tesla one up tomorrow. Uh, ASML is also up tomorrow, the massive Dutch lithography maker for semiconductors, uh, semiconductor production, and Netflix. And I put the Netflix up a chart up there. Uh, I was just in the background thinking, have they been affected by this uh, pretty comprehensive strike that's, that's broken out in Hollywood? Not just writers, but also actors joining. But apparently the, the noise is, or the story is, that they're not affected near term here because of a strong pipeline in their production. I would note technically that it's uh, looking a little bit tired from a moment, momentum perspective. As you see, the MACD is quite divergent over the last uh, two tops, so-called uh, triple divergence, arguably. Pretty remarkable story, that stock having traded, I think it was almost at 700 or did trade to 700 during the pandemic, correcting all the way back down to sub $200 levels and now back at 450, a definition of a roller coaster ride. And then if we go uh, forward once again to the macro highlights coming up, um, retail sales out of the US, I just saw a Bank of America forecast uh, flash across my, my feed. They have a uh, spin that they'll see some weak 
uh, weaker than uh, expected sales, but consensus expectations are, are, are reasonably positive. Uh, it's an important data point, but these are, it's a pretty volatile data series. More important for specific currencies, we do have the Canadian CPI. Assuming that one is, is in line to slightly softer, I don't think it's a major jolt, but of, of course a pronounced figure in either direction could affect the Canadian dollar outlook. It's, it's probably the $1 pair that's looking potentially more bullish for the uh, dollar side uh, just at the moment having recently rejected some lows for the year. Uh, but of course, the broader dollar picture remains very much under pressure. And then uh, the Kiwi CPI uh, could be defining for uh, where Kiwi is in the crosses uh, tonight, especially something like Aussie Kiwi. Uh, so watch for that one if you trade that. And, and as I've emphasized, the UK uh, CPI data point up tomorrow, a really critical one. And uh, uh, one to watch for sterling, whether it's euro sterling, cable, and arguably I would say sterling yen could be supremely sensitive to a inflationary miss if we catch on to the story that I've been trying to gin up at least that perhaps the yen strength, if that's what we're continuing to see, needs to be more broad-based. And then on that front, that Friday CPI report out of Japan, really critical as a, a final feed-in to uh, the Bank of Japan decision next week. All right, I think uh, with that uh, run-through of where things are, I just want to argue that we are at very, very, very complacent levels uh, across the market in, in terms of sentiment, and this can lead to fragility at some point. Uh, difficult to time this kind of thing, but it's just rare that I felt uh, as sort of pronounced a sense of this This is getting a bit too much. Uh, it's been a long time since I felt as, as, uh, as strong as I do about that now. So let's see if that's... It means anything for what shapes up in coming days. Uh, for now, that's a wrap, and I'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>